Hi, welcome to MedTech for Beginners, the place to come if you want to know more about how to bring new health and care innovations into the UK market. Hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of MedTech for Beginners. My name is Kate Pym, Managing Director of PIMS Consultancy. Today I am talking to Gordon Barker, who is CEO of Microbiosensor. Hi Gordon, how are you today? Hi Kate, I'm very good, thank you. So I'd just like to start by asking you, what does Microbiosensor do? So we're a medical device company and we make niche infection diagnostics. So we look for gaps in the market where there's an unmet need for improved infection diagnosis, generally around speed to diagnosis, and we look to innovate in that area. And so our first product that we launched on the market last year is a diagnostic that works for patients on peritoneal dialysis. Infection is a key issue for them, and our device helps flag an infection earlier than is currently possible. Fantastic. Thank you. So you brought this new device to market last year. Quite often we see that medical devices can take up to two years to actually start selling in the NHS. How quickly did you start selling with your device? Uh, Not as quickly as we'd like is always the answer, but uh, we did okay, I think. So we, we had some internal deadlines and we needed to start selling pretty quickly just to keep various stakeholders on board, including investors. It sold within the first three months. So uh, people tell me that that's pretty good going for uh, a completely novel device that, that no one's seen before. Yes. Um, yeah, we've yeah, uh, continued is, uh, on that vein since. Fantastic. So what I'd like to do now, and what I ask all of my guests is, how did you get into this business? So what's your background? So my background, I started in as a biochemistry degree in Manchester. So I was kind of always interested in in science. I knew that was kind of where I wanted to go in biology, biochemistry, molecular biology were always the things that, that I was really switched on by. Uh, so I did my degree. I was pretty sure I wasn't going to do a PhD, but then the prospect of joining the world of work didn't look too enticing either. And so I stayed on and did a PhD in the end, and that was in molecular biology. And I really enjoyed that, the whole kind of genetics side of things. But towards the end of my PhD, I kind of realized what really kind of fired me up was the practical application of, of science, not just research for its own purpose and, and, and writing scientific journals, getting academic publications out there. That just didn't really cut it for me. I couldn't get too excited. Whereas seeing stuff in the real world, you know, uh, devices, innovations that could make a benefit and difference to patients' lives, I really got that. So that's kind of where I started leaning towards. My first job was still in academic research, but it was tied to a group that, that had good, strong industry links. And then my next kind of postdoc after that first one, I went moved to a lab that I knew was spinning out a company. Uh, so I wanted to see what that looked like from day one and, and you know, be involved in, in building a business from the ground up, really. Uh, and that's kind of what I continued thereafter. I kind of realized that as a research scientist, I was kind of boxed in. There was this kind of 
glass ceiling above which somebody with a purely technical background was was unlikely to break through. And so I did an MBA and then that kind of opened my eyes to sort of <laughs> just looking at, at the business world in a bit more detail and, and pragmatically. And and so I very soon thereafter quit that first company uh, and got into the technology transfer space. So looking at lots of different projects where there were potential commercial applications and, and always in the back of my head, then uh, I was looking for the right opportunity to, to spin out with. Uh, and so I've done a couple of spin outs since and, and that's kind of led to where we are today with Microbiosensor. We spun that out of Manchester University. There was some core IP that we no longer use. But in trying to develop that, we've, we've come up with our own innovations along the way. And, and it's those that we've commercialized in this last 12, 24 months. Fantastic. Thank you. So one of the conversations that I have quite often with my colleagues is talking about failing quickly in Doing that, you gain an awful lot of experience and uh, which you can take on to other projects. And we believe to be a very, very positive thing for future business development, uh, learning how to fail quickly, as well as learning how to uh, progress rapidly. Have you got any experience of failing quickly? Oh, God, yeah. Failing in general, definitely. Um, But the sooner you can get over the failure, the better, really. Yeah, with hindsight... You've always got 2020, haven't you, looking back. We could probably have killed projects earlier than we did. The key product that we're commercializing now was directly as a result of failing the previous product development program. So we've been working for a number of years on a product. It was in the same market area. It was addressing the same gap with peritoneal dialysis patients, but a different underlying technology. And... We kept that limping along for too long. Each time it didn't quite perform as well as we'd like, we'd kind of try and bolt on to the existing product, some new feature or try and explain a way why we weren't going to be able to do something as, as quickly or as well as we'd have liked and and somehow hope that, that the market would still accept that. And it was a really painful process and perhaps more drawn out than it needed to be. But eventually we got to the point where we could get some real clinical data. And that was just not good enough. And it was that really that kind of forced us in a way to look again at the whole project and say, you know what, this isn't going to work for us as well as we need it to. And so what would work? And really, we went back with a blank piece of paper. You know, we'd learned a lot. And so we could populate that blank piece of paper more quickly with with what was going to work. But that was that was painful. And yeah, there were real moments where you just had your head in your hands going, you know, God, what have we wasted the last few years on? It had to happen. Yeah, apologies for asking the question, which I, I think <laughs> yeah. you might have felt a bit ambushed with. Um, the reason I asked it is that the people listening to this podcast, many of them will be going through difficult decisions, product development, uh, iterations of products, hoping that they get to the point that they bring it to market. And I think sometimes they need the reassurance that, you know, sometimes failure is a good thing. Things don't always work. And having that experience to put into something which then is clinically proven, does prove effectiveness, brings up, you know, gives real patient benefits, etc. Because you've got that experience in the past of 
things that don't work and why they don't work. It, it actually helps sort of fast track the good stuff. If you've had a little bit that didn't go too well in the background, it fast tracks the good stuff. And it's really right. a point of reassurance. <laughs> Definitely, Kate. But, you know, I think it's one of those things, it's really easy to say, you can come out with these trite lines of, you know, try and fail earlier and, and kill stuff. But, you know, you're probably talking about projects where people have invested a lot of time and effort and blood mm-hmm. and sweat. And, and it's really difficult to let that go. You know, people are vested in it. And, and you risk, you feel like you're going to look stupid if you say, you know, we spent three years on this and now we're going to walk away because this thing's better. Um, we did it, you know, we had to go through that process and, and I'm really glad we did because the new product is far better. You know, it, it does what we intended it, the first product to do. Uh, it does it better, it does it faster, it does it more cheaply. But, but yeah, you know, we had to go through that as a lived experience. And I'm a little bit older and wiser for it. And, you know, I've got a fair few more gray hairs as a result of that as well. But, yeah, I don't regret it. I wish we could have just kind of come to that realization sooner. Yeah. So just for those who are listening and thinking, what are you talking about with peritoneal dialysis? I think we ought to explain. Mm, yeah, sorry. Here, nodding at you, which nobody can see, obviously, um, about peritoneal dialysis, which I worked in for several years with Baxter. Uh, mm. We both know what it is. But just to explain for the listeners, do you want to explain what peritoneal dialysis is? God, I'll do my best. Um, or do you want me to? <laughs> well, I'll have a go and then you can you can correct me, Kate, and we can all have a laugh <laughs> at that. So uh, when you have kidney failure, there are two main dialysis therapy options. The one that most people have probably heard of is hemodialysis. You lie in a bed, something gets stuck in a vein, and your blood is basically washed in a machine that sits next to the bedside. Uh, and that's great. It works. It keeps you alive. But... You have to be plugged into that machine, typically during office hours in a hospital ward or clinic. And so it's really hard not to become a professional patient. You know, you're plugged in there for several hours, several days a week, and trying to hold down you know, a normal working life is extremely difficult under those circumstances. There's another form of dialysis. That's called peritoneal dialysis. And there you have a catheter permanently inserted into your abdomen. And instead of washing your blood, in effect, you wash your insides. Uh, Several liters of fluid is drained into your abdominal cavity through this catheter. And you've got a really large surface area inside around your guts with a really rich blood supply. You get enough solute exchange over that area to complement the missing function of your kidneys. So toxins wash into the fluid and water and salts go the other way. And then that fluid's drained away and you repeat that all again the next day. And the great advantage to that is that can be done while you sleep. You can be in bed and this machine can shuffle the fluid in and out of your body while you're resting. And that means that no one need know you're a a dialysis patient. You can hold down a normal job. You can have a normal family life. You're not plugged into a machine for several hours during the working day. So it's that form of dialysis, peritoneal dialysis, that we're supporting. It's kind of the cheapest form of therapy. It allows patients to have a more normal lifestyle. And there are clinical advantages as well. There's benefits, health benefits of 
doing that kind of dialysis. It helps um, maintain any residual kidney activity you have. So lots of reasons why clinicians and patients would want to be on that therapy and to maintain it as best they could. And so our device, by preventing infections that are a rare but uh, typical risk factor for patients on that therapy, by, by finding infections earlier, being able to treat earlier, and stop them becoming severe infections, we can help support a therapy that, that definitely needs supporting. Yeah, and I totally agree. I, I, I'm a big fan of, of peritoneal dialysis. That is my chosen option should my kidneys fail. Um, because apart from anything else, you can still go on holiday on peritoneal dialysis without having to find yourself a slot at a hemodialysis centre near you. You just trolley your machine with you, take your fluids with you and off you go. Or they even get them delivered to cruise ships. So you quite often see a lot of boxes and cases being loaded into cruise ships. If you see Baxter labels on them, for example, that's because a dialysis patient is going on holiday. And uh, a lot of people choose it for that very reason. So I think once a patient has made a decision that they want to be on peritoneal dialysis, They've made it for their own life choices. They've made it for personal, family, clinical, medical decision. And then if they do get an infection, they have been very, very well trained by the home dialysis team to recognise that an infection is a bad thing and something that needs to be sorted out as quickly as possible because what they're risking is having to go on to hemodialysis if it doesn't work out. And they really don't want to do that. So having a device that actually provides that rapid identification of infection so they can be treated really quickly and stay on the dialysis modality of their choice is really, really important to patients. Um, so for me, I always work on projects that I think have a value to the people at the other end. So that's the patients and the staff. There's a value to both in using your device. For you, and this is a bit of a closed question, a bit of a you know dummy question, really. The end result, the difference it makes for patients, how much does that influence your decisions when you're deciding what you're going to invent next? Yeah, I think to invent anything that's going to be successful, you've really got your head into to what the end user's going through, how they're going to use the product, what, what impact it's going to make. So we try and keep that kind of front and center. We stumbled upon this as a therapy area almost by accident. You know, we had a, some ideas as to how we could build a new infection diagnostic technology. And then we were sort of looking around where's, you know, an obvious place with clinical need that we could, we could point this at. Um, and it was a fairly random conversation that sort of put us on to, to dialysis. But the more we looked at it, the more we realized there was a need and we, the more we realized that we could have a really positive impact on patients' lives. So, yeah, you know, I think anybody working in, in the healthcare sector has that as, as a key part of their motivation. You want to help people and, and you want to help as, as well as you can and, and make as big a positive impact as you can. So that definitely is the case with, with peritoneal dialysis and, and happily, you know, it's early days, but we've, we've, in a few clinics now, there's a few clinicians up and down the country using our device and, and it's making an impact. You know, they're able to send some patients home early uh, when they realize that they don't have a problem and, and others, they've, they've spotted an issue 
when they wouldn't have been sure and they've been able to start a patient on antibiotics and therefore give them a much better chance of a, of a good outcome and avoiding a serious illness, which has other knock-on complications. So, so yeah, you know, it's, it's a key part of what we do uh, and where we go next. Yeah, we'll apply the same sorts of principles. We're looking at, you know, different patient groups who are similarly vulnerable, patients with advanced liver disease. There's, there's a, a market gap there that, that perhaps we'll address next. Fantastic. Thank you, Gordon. So we're coming to the end of our time for our chat. So I just uh, wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody, and that is looking back on the launch of this product, is there anything in retrospect that you would have done differently? <laughs> more more homework, probably. Uh, the NHS is a curious beast. It's huge. It's It's full of the most amazing people, you know, our brightest and best go to work there, but it's enormous. And I hadn't quite appreciated how the various different regions and different trusts are all kind of separate little fiefdoms, really. And so selling into the NHS isn't selling to one organization, one customer, it's selling to several hundred. And, and they all interpret their own guidelines and rules in slightly different ways. So what they ask for, what, what, what information they want to see, what reassurance they're going to need is all quite different. And, and I say, you know, I could have done more homework and been more prepared for that. Uh, I perhaps wouldn't have even started saying if I'd known that before we begin. You know, we've learned along the way. We're still, I feel like, at the bottom of a, a fairly steep learning curve. But... But, you know, we're doing the right thing. The clinicians we're working with, the nurses and the doctors, they're brilliant. And and so, yeah, you know, we've kind of picked up a few knocks and bruises along the way, but, but we're slowly getting our heads around what's involved. And, yeah, do the homework, I suppose. That's what I would shout at myself earlier. <laughs> get, get your head around exactly how complicated a beast this is and, and how you're going to deal with all those different stakeholders that you need to get on board. Thank you so much, Gordon. So it's been great to speak to you today. Just for those who were wondering, we have been working together for quite a while. But um, if you want to find out more about QuickCheck and Microbiosensor, please go online and look for www.microbiosensor.com. And you will find details about Gordon and the rest of the team along with the device. And uh, I'm sure they'll be very pleased to hear from anybody who's interested in finding out more about how it can help with peritoneal dialysis. Uh, so Absolutely. thank you for your time today, Gordon. Uh, this is Kate from PIMS Consultancy Limited. You can find us on pimsconsultancy.co.uk. That's Papa Yankee Mike Sierra consultancy.co.uk and hope you join us for our next session thanks for listening bye thanks kate thank you for listening to this podcast we hope you found it both interesting and useful click feel free to message us if you've got any questions that you'd like to ask or any requests for future interviewees or any particular aspects of medtech that you'd like to know more about We'd be happy to include them in future episodes. Our email address is info at pimsconsultancy.co.uk 
That's info at papayankeemikesierraconsultancy.co.uk or you can find out more about this podcast by visiting pimsconsultancy.co.uk forward slash medtechpodcast. Until the next time, bye for now.